0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Thursday, October 3rd, the morning after the Canucks fall in their season opener to Edmonton by a 3-2 final score. And uh, I am, I'm pretty happy to finally have a real hockey game to discuss on the podcast after suffering through some you know, painfully boring uh, exhibition games. We talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. I will say, though, I mean, certainly that was a much more entertaining preseason this year than last, which might have been the most painful preseason I have ever endured in all of my years (laughs) watching this team Uh, covering hockey in general at a a number of different levels. The Canucks were absolutely dreadful uh, in the preseason last year. And, and, hey, we didn't have to suffer through that. But we also, you know, there's this uh, appeal of preseason hockey initially in that, hey, hockey is back. Kind of excited to see how these prospects, these new players are going to do as they integrate into the lineup. There certainly was a taste of that this season. But then, like, you get towards Game 4 or 5 and just the general feeling of, like, this isn't real. This doesn't matter. None of this matters. The, you could tell the players don't even think it matters. It just becomes a slog. And last night, we finally got hockey. Real, actual hockey with stakes, with the players showing up, trying to put on a show, trying to win a game that actually meant something in the standings. The difference you could tell right from the beginning was Stark. Maybe not for the Canucks, who played poorly for probably the first 10 minutes of the opening period. Uh, uh, look, I, I hammered this point uh, at length yesterday. I don't want to have to keep going down this road again and again. It's something that even came up in the post game quotes a little bit from the players themselves. But this is a preseason uh, that saw the Canucks never once. Typically, when we get to the end of the preseason schedule, in Game 7 or 8, the last couple games of preseason the actual firm roster of what you're going to go into the season with has been set in stone at that point. The Canucks obviously didn't make that decision uh, in terms of who was going to stay and who was going to go until Monday morning earlier this week, so they did not so at once ice the lineup that they were going to put out on opening night. And, uh, I mean, there's certainly room for improvement, especially with a top line that I was told earlier – I watched all the preseason games and was still taken off guard by this, Uh, that this top line of Michael Furland, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser, because of the Chris Tierney hit on Brock Besser that gave him a a concussion and kind of pulled him out of play for the back half of the preseason, those three guys never once played together as a set unit in an actual preseason game. Uh, Somebody told me that on Twitter. That might be wrong. I don't know why I'm believing things that I read on the internet, but at the same time, it feels right. And uh, with the Tierney hit and the concussion, it makes sense to me that that would be the case. You could kind of see it in the way that they played in this game against the Edmonton Oilers, especially when they were pressing to tie things late in the third. Uh, Certainly uh, some sustained pressure in the offensive zone, but you could also tell that these guys don't have that keen awareness of where each other are going to be uh, at any given time as of yet. They don't have that sense of if I put the puck here, I know from this guy's tendencies that that's exactly where he's going to be. There were a few times where you could see passes just you know two or three feet away from where the guy actually was as they tried to figure out where would you be if this play was going to be running optimally. So, I'm sure that'll all get ironed out as the season rolls along. And certainly this did look like a team that was out of sorts for much of that first period. Um, And look, this is what's going to happen when you don't get any time together with your actual NHL team in the preseason. So Quinn Hughes said to the media after this game was over that this is a team that's going to look certainly much different in game 30 than they do right now. And it'll be all the same guys, they just need time to kind of get into the rhythm of things, get to know each other, on the ice, off the ice, all that sort of thing. And look, if that, if that's the case, I said yesterday, on yesterday's show, that if they came out and they didn't look great, that uh, you, know, you can't be too judgmental about it, but at the same time, that's an Oilers team across the way from them that on paper looks like trash, certainly up and down the wings, lines one through four. This is an Oilers team that, outside of Leon Dreisaitl, does not look very good on the wing at all. So, I uh, you know, I closed out the show yesterday by saying that uh, we might be in trouble if they do not win this game against the Oilers. I do not think that they're in trouble because they lost game one of, of 82, certainly not by any stretch of the imagination. But there are certainly some signs that things might not go the way that, uh, you know, the folks who want playoffs this year, have in mind. Uh, and first and foremost is that bottom six that we've spent so much time talking about already this season. I, I, game one of the season, week one of this podcast, and I feel like the one topic that will not go away is the bottom six. On opening night last year, and I'm taking this from Steve Body on Twitter, at Body604, it's a great tweet. Last year's opening night bottom six was Antoine Roussel on the wing of Brandon Sutter and Jake Vertanen as your third line, and a fourth line of Erickson, Beagle, and Mott, with Schaller as the extra on the outside looking in. That was opening night last year. Last night's opening night saw Louis Erickson as a surprise starter on the third line after practicing as the 14th forward earlier in the week. Erickson on the wing of Sutter and Levo and a fourth line of Schaller, Beagle, and Vertanen with Adam Gaudette on the outside looking in. So has this team improved its top six? Yes. Has this team improved its defense? I mean, arguable, but probably yes. Jordy Ben looked very good last night. Tyler Myers actually looked very good last night as well. Two guys that I went in on as having bad preseasons who needed to show up for this game, they really showed up for this game. In fact, they combined on the Canucks' second goal of the night, and that would be Tyler Myers and Tanner Pearson. More on them later. I do want to talk more, however, about this bottom six, because this is just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. That's that, If anything, when you look at those two lines in stark comparison to each other, I know Roussel is injured, and he will be available to this team in two months or so, so... You know, there, this is a bottom six that will improve with the addition of Antoine Roussel, a guy who can move up and down the lineup, a guy who has proven chemistry, playing with Bo Horvat on a second line role. Uh, yes, there is an opportunity for this bottom six to be improved by inserting Antoine Roussel. But for the time being, anyways, this is a, a bottom six that looks like it somehow got worse. Louis Erickson started last year on the fourth line. For all we've talked about how bad he was throughout the training camp and exhibition schedule, for a guy who was the 14th forward in practice earlier this week, Louis Erickson got a game day promotion, got a promotion over where he was on opening night last year. was on the third line and, in fact, was a big reason why that third line surrendered the game-winning goal to Connor McDavid. Look, obviously I know Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid. And there's only one guy like him. He's the most explosive, game-breaking forward on the planet. He is the best hockey player on planet Earth and has been for the last couple years here. There's only one guy who can burn any team like that, so it's hard to look at a play like that and say, Brandon Sutter and Louis Erickson, sorry boys, but that one's really on you. At the same time, It absolutely is. Just a horrendous giveaway. Brandon Sutter had time and space, but because he'd been on the ice for upwards of a minute at that point and desperately wanted to get off on a change, he made the fast decision, which was the wrong decision. Turned the puck over to Matt Benning. Benning finds Drysidle. Drysidle with a quick tap to McDavid. McDavid, like a bolt of lightning, right up through the middle, able to part Chris Tanev and... Quinn Hughes and baby, that's how the Oilers go on to win this game. At the same time, I see people who are pointing the finger at Quinn Hughes, saying, "Oh, the Canucks would have had this one if not for Quinn Hughes, both on the opening goal and the winning goal." And I don't. To me, it's like, what do what do you people want from this team? Because I've been watching this team for more than two thirds of my life at this point. I know that you cannot win the Stanley Cup every year. You cannot have a perfect team. More than anything, look, have I been getting mad this week about uh, philosophy and what it takes to be a winning team? Absolutely. But more than anything, I want to be entertained. Sports is supposed to be the entertainment business. You go and you watch these games because it's fun to have a good time. And so people who were pointing the finger at Quinn Hughes and saying that he was the problem with this team yesterday. What are you smoking? What's wrong with you? That guy was easily the most entertaining player in that game. He was the one guy of the Canucks top guns, Horvat, Besser, Pedersen, this young core that's going to carry this team for, you know, years and years to come. He was the one guy who really showed up. And if you're a lapsed fan or someone who's not as uh, attentive to things as you have been in the past, who's fallen out over the last couple years, and look, no shame in that. I know everybody wants to point a finger at people like that and call them bandwagoners or whatever, but if, if you have really watched every game from this team over the last four years, can you possibly make the case that those games were worth watching, all of them? Absolutely not. You would be kidding yourself if you even started to make that argument. This team needs entertainment value. It needs exciting young players that make you want to tune in. You know, you come home from work and maybe you have other things to do. Oh, what, what am I going to do tonight? I'm going to watch that Canucks game because there's going to be a play from a player who will do something the likes of which I haven't seen in years, if not ever. Quinn Hughes wasn't perfect on opening night by any stretch of the imagination, but Quinn Hughes was exceptional. He was fun. To watch. If you came into this game looking for entertainment value, you weren't going to get very much of it from the Edmonton Oilers. Absolutely not. But you certainly were going to get some of it from Quinn Hughes towards the end of the first period. Really, anytime Quinn Hughes was out there on the power play at all. I talked yesterday about how if the Canucks were going to uh, win this one and come out and make a difference in this game, the thing that would be that difference maker would be special teams. It didn't happen to be the difference maker in terms of results last night, but it was the difference maker in terms of entertainment. Every single time the Canucks had a power play last night, they looked dangerous, they looked creative, they moved the puck a lot, and that is not something that you can say about the way this team has played with the man advantage for the better part of the last, oh, I don't know, decade really you know you have to go back quite a long time to the glory years of 2011 to find a power play with the kind of dynamic puck movement that we saw last night and it didn't pay off it didn't pay off last night not with a goal on the power play of course they did score one almost immediately after the power play expired that goal which was initially credited to Tyler Myers eventually went instead to Tanner Pearson, and look, hats off to both of those guys. I gave them both a very hard time after looking disinterested throughout the majority of preseason play. Yesterday, Tanner Pearson was the entire difference on the shot clock between the Canucks looking like they dominated the game and the Canucks looking like they were dead even with a very conservative, very boring Edmonton Oilers team Tanner Pearson with 11 of Vancouver's 33 shots to Edmonton's 22 yesterday and one of them happens to be a tip off of a Tyler Myers point shot that deflects past Mike Smith and into the back of the net his first goal of the season and a play that made Myers look pretty good too look Myers played very well in this game not just in terms of his puck movement and his shots from the point on the power play but the ability for him in a pairing with Alex Edler, to shut down top lines. They were matched hard against the Nugent Hopkins dry sidle line, and they did very well in terms of shot share, which, coming into the season, I had huge question marks about how that pairing was going to fare defensively, because the story on both of those guys at this stage in their careers, Alex Edler and Tyler Myers, is Well, they might have some deficiencies in a number of different places, the one thing that you can count on both of them is to be good puck movers and good point men on the power play. Well, that's all well and good, but you're not going to be playing on the power play for 60 minutes, anywhere even close to that, really. So if this is going to be this team's top pairing, they needed to have some results defensively, which is an area of the game where both Edler and Myers have struggled mightily over the last couple years. I know it's just one game, but the early returns on that pairing were shockingly good. And maybe that's just because my expectation of what I want from Alex Edler at this point of his career and my expectation of what I think of Tyler Myers as a player from his years in Winnipeg coming into this season are at a place where, you know... I was pleasantly surprised, and that's a good thing to feel about players that you're pretty anxious about, and players who are on big-ticket contracts for uh, several seasons to come. I mean, more concern there with the Tyler Myers contract than the Edler one, but... Positive early results from those guys, and that's not a storyline that I was expecting coming and out of this game at all. So I have to give credit where credit is due, and credit to Tanner Pearson as well for just being a shot machine, the likes of which the Canucks have not seen since Michael Samuelson was an important part of the top six uh, several years ago as well. And that's an important role to have, honestly, to have a guy who can just fire from anywhere, who's always looking to get shots on goal. You never know what's going to happen when you create rebound opportunities like that if Tanner Pearson continues to have that mindset for the entire season. I mean, the same things that we said about Michael Samuelson back in the day might be true as well. Sometimes it's frustrating when you're trying to make plays and set up in the zone and do all these things with the puck to have a guy who's always going to fire it off instead of uh, you know making the play that might find an open guy with a pass. But that wasn't the case last night, I didn't think. I actually thought that second line with Pearson... Miller and Horvat acquitted themselves quite well. And if this is the way this team is going to play in the top six down the line, then they should be looking pretty good. Because, yes, the Besser-Petterson-Furland line had some issues last night. We're a little out of sorts, a bit out of sync. Pass is not quite where they should be. But when they get tuned up, when those guys are all in sync together, and that second line keeps rolling, if it can keep rolling the way it was on opening night, That is a top six that's going to be quite a thing to watch this year. The only complaint is, of course, not to beat a dead horse and circle back to the waving of Sven Berchi over and over and over again this week. There were times in the first and second periods of yesterday's game where the kind of uh, auto-shuffler of the deck of cards that the Canucks have at their disposal would have been busted out back in the Elaine Vigneault years. Uh, you know, the times when this team looked like it was missing something, that's a perfect time to start cycling up the lines and trying to find some spark by putting guys together and seeing what they can do. That didn't really happen last night, and it didn't really happen because who the heck were you going to put in the top six? Maybe Josh Levo? Maybe? This is exactly why you shouldn't waive a guy like Sven Berchi. He gives you options. On a night when your top six is stagnating and not everything is working out quite as it should, he gives you the option of having a guy who can play in that top six who's not already in it, and you can shuffle things up and see if he can catch a spark. Now, maybe that's not the play right now because, as I mentioned, these lines do need to find some chemistry, but in the bottom six, do they? Do they really need to find chemistry? Is Brandon Sutter really going to learn how to play well? with Louis Erickson, is, is Josh Levo really going to be able to elevate his game to a point where the Erickson-Sutter combination is not dragging him down? Are Jay Beagle and Tim Schaller going to be anything more than we already know they are ever? No, probably not. So, you know, you're not going to mix those guys up in a blender. You're not going to lift Louis Erickson up into the top six to see what he can get going with Elias Pettersson. Heck, that would be even worse than things were going earlier in the game last night. So the people who wanted to beat the drum about why waving Berchi was a big philosophical mistake, they got a nice feather in their cap last night, not just because the Canucks didn't have the depth to shift up the lines, but because the three guys who made the team, specifically the two who were in the opening night lineup over Adam Gaudet and Sven Berchi, And Brandon Sutter and Louis Erickson, specifically were the two guys who cost the Canucks the game, who gave away the puck on the winning goal, and who, after that giveaway, didn't even move their feet to get back into position and try and right their mistake. Louis Erickson did not take a single stride. He glided back from center ice, completely gave up on the play, And it didn't take very long for Brandon Sutter to do the same. Now, if you want to hang that play on Quinn Hughes, again, I would say you're crazy. One of the most exciting and dynamic things with Quinn Hughes that we talked about at the end of last year is that he has the speed. He might be the only defender in the entire NHL who has the speed and the skating stride to keep up with a guy like Connor McDavid. And he showed you exactly that last night after that giveaway from Sutter. To Benning, yes, the defense is out of position because both Hughes and Tanev are looking like they're going to head off on a change, But, but still, even still with that said, Quinn Hughes is still able to get back into a spot where he's able to get a stick on that puck and nearly poke it off of the twig of Connor McDavid. Unfortunately, McDavid gets a fortuitous bounce that puts it right back on his stick before he rifles it past Jacob Markstrom. And that's all she wrote in last night's game as the Oilers skate away with a 3-2 victory. Do you want to say one more thing about the Oilers, though, before we wrap up? I know I uh, gave a hard time to Tyler Myers and Tanner Pearson after their preseason, and they both proved me wrong yesterday. Also gave a hard time to the Oilers for having Zach Cassian in their top six. And boy, did he prove me wrong yesterday as well. Heck of a playmaker. And what a goal scorer's goal. He also just shrugged off Alex Edler. Uh, he looks like exactly the kind of guy that the Canucks were hoping he would be when they acquired him in the Cody Hodson trade so many years ago. Now, the frustrating thing about following a guy like Zach Kassian is that he always gave you those tantalizing flashes. The problem is consistency. Can he consistently be that guy over the course of an entire season? I don't think he can. Uh, he's 28 years old now, so it's getting a little late for him to put it all together and have the kind of season that we've long been waiting for from him. But at the same time, in terms of overall line composition and talent spread across all three positions, that second line of the Oilers is easily their best. Drycidadal and Nugent Hopkins and, and Zach Cassian. that's consistent talent in all three positions, because the Oilers have center depth. They do not have wingers, really at all. And uh, kudos to Zach Cassian. Somebody who I've been pulling for for a very long, long time. And when guys get stuck in kind of rehabilitation and and drug issues in their early 20s and teams give up on them, it's a pet issue of mine to get upset about that because a lot of guys do lean into substance abuse to deal with the pain of playing hockey professionally. So I do feel like hockey teams have more of an obligation to try and help rehabilitate players. As opposed to just pulling the shoot on them and sending them to another team and making it someone else's problem, I never liked the way Zach Cassian got driven out of town here, uh, given up on by this team. And good for him, you know. He spoke to Thomas Trance of the Athletic yesterday before the game and said that his partying days are behind him. He's old and boring now. He plays hockey. He goes home, and uh, that's about it. And maybe that's not the entire truth. I'm sure he still has some pops here and there, but. His wild man days seem to be behind him, and if Zach Kashing can put together a good little season here for the Oilers, it would be nice to see, because you want something that's nice to see on the Oilers. Their style of play certainly is not that. Remarkable that a team with the most exciting player on the planet might be the most boring in the league. They looked exactly like a Dave Tippett team yesterday. That was the one thing that I did not take into account in my game preview when I thought, oh, the... Look at this roster on paper. The Canucks are going to roll over these guys. They play a trapping style that makes you dump and chase the puck from the neutral zone into the offensive end. And, of course, they have one of the top puck-handling goaltenders in the game. So if you're going to play a dump-and-chase style, Mike Smith is going to intercept that puck, and he's going to dump it right back out, and nothing is going to happen for the entire contest. Heck, even Connor McDavid, off the rush, would come in with a shot, and as soon as he got that shot away and Jacob Markstrom made the save, he would immediately be bolting back out of the zone into the neutral ice to join that neutral zone trap. So Dave Tippett has instilled this into his top-skilled players already, but when I see people who are following the shot metrics saying the Canucks dominated that game, it is easy to dominate a team who philosophically does not want to engage with you offensively in the first place. The Oilers' entire M.O., is to play a safe, almost perfect defensive game and hope that one of their three offensive stars can find lightning in a bottle at least once, twice, three times in a hockey game. And ultimately, that's the difference in these two teams on this night is that the Oilers got offense from their top guys and the Canucks did not. And that won't always be the case for the rest of this year. So we'll put this one behind us and move along. There were some promising signs, I think, overall from this game. There were exciting plays from Quinn Hughes, and to have a player who can electrify the viewing audience on a night where Elias Pettersson is a little bit quiet, maybe doesn't have the night overall that has captured so many people in many, many games, certainly the opening 10 of the season last year. To have a player like that on top of Elias Pettersson uh, is, That's the kind of excitement that this team needs to be consistently watchable and win back a lot of people who have kind of tuned out of paying attention to them over the course of an 82-game season in this city. Good to have some excitement on the ice as well because the excitement of watching them uh, and engaging in Canucks Twitter over the course of the game obviously has changed dramatically as well. Over the last several years, You know, one of the most exciting things that can happen to you during a Canucks hockey game, is getting a like on a tweet from Jason Botchford and knowing that that probably meant something you said was going to end up in the Pravies or Athletes that night. Uh, with that said, uh, big tip of the cap, big daps, stick taps, whatever you want to say to the trio of guys who will inherit that role this year, uh, Why aren't Thomas Drantz, Harmon Dial at the Athletic, who have renamed their post-game festivities the Armies in tribute to Jason's famous catchphrase and also uh, because it takes an army to replace all the work that that man did and it's gone from a one-man job to a three-man crew. I cannot wait to see what all three of those guys do over the course of this year, but I also have to say it was a bit strange to finish this game last night and, and not, you know, have a Pravis or Athletes to wait around for into the wee hours and not go back and forth with botch after the game wrapped uh, in the DMS as well. It's going to be a a weird season, but um, we are all doing our parts and uh, much love and respect to those three guys who have a big job in front of them and probably feel the weight of the enormity of trying to fill those shoes. They're going to do a fantastic job and uh, my absolute respect and love to all three of those guys, but we miss you botch. Everything we do this season is for you, my friend. And, um, that's it for the Locked On Canucks podcast for Thursday, October 3rd. I hate to end on a down note, but hey, speaking from the heart, that's why I'm here this year. I took this job because I knew it's what Jason would want me to do, and I cannot stress that enough. So thank you for being along on the ride with me all season long. I'll be back with you tomorrow as the Canucks enjoy another day off in Banff, maybe hike Lake Louise, who knows what they're going to do. They've got some team bonding activities planned in Banff before they take on the Calgary Flames on Saturday night, and we will wrap up week one of Locked On Canucks. It's my pleasure to do this, and it's my absolute honor that anyone would tune in to listen to it. Uh, thank you so much. I'm Justin Morrisett, and you're locked in on the Canucks on the Locked On Podcast Network.